This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome movie lovers back for another Anatomy of Movie here at Popcorn Talk. We've seen a lot of billboards for a lot of things, but never in my life have I seen these types of billboards, this, particularly these three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. So stay tuned as we dissect. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Feel that music. Enjoy this podcast. As we build up. I like this song. We have Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans. How's it going? It's going good. And I'm Phil Svitek, and we're talking, of course, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. If you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. You've come to the right place. <laughs> if you're rejoining us, you've come to the right place, too. Um, and so thank you. We, we do appreciate you guys. As we talk about these various things, we get the conversation going on, the, the various movies we talk about, but by no means is a definitive one and done. By all means, comment. Let us know. And also, let your cinephile friends know that we're out here, if you have any. Or make a friend, you know? <laughs> what a great excuse to make a friend. Hey, did you hear about Anatomy of a Movie? No, I did not. Tell me more. It's friendship. There you go. There you go. Uh, and then you have three new friends from this panel. <laughs> yeah. That's right. right uh, and, of course, uh, if you're joining us for the first time, one of the things to note is that we are spoiler-filled. One, number two, you can get our rundown in the description box, so that way you can follow along with all of our research. There's the administrative stuff out of the way. Now the fun stuff. <laughs> our overall thoughts on the movie. Marissa, kick us off. Um, first of all, I love Frances McDormand. She's genius. Uh, so I was really excited to see this film. I heard really good things about it. I saw this... Because uh, this movie was released limited in Los Angeles and, you know, the, the metropolitan areas. Uh, and um, so I fortunately saw this early in December. So And I, I really liked it because <coughs> from, from the people who have been able to see the movies early, they told me it was good. I went in, and yeah, it was good. I think the acting was great. I think the writing is good. There is an element <coughs> of the story. Bless you. There's an element Sorry. of the story that um, I have to question, especially when we get to it. Uh, I'll bring it up. But I think overall <coughs> the characters were very interesting to follow. There was good pacing. Um, just good writing and acting and story meshed together in this film. Right on. Dimitri? Yeah, I, okay. It's it's an odd duck movie for me because on the one hand it is, it is well written, but you'd have to argue that it is very... Uh, Cohen-esque, Cohen Brothers-esque in its in its delivery, in the way that it feels and looks. This dark, seedy side going on. Of course, having Francis McDormand in it as well, a Cohen Brothers favorite, um, lends a little bit to that uh, feel to it. And it's it's sort of it's sort of kind of um, build as a, almost a mystery. 
of 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 um, you know who and who killed uh, the daughter, and yet. Uh, by end of the movie, the mystery is the biggest red herring of this movie. It, it, it's really not about the mystery at all. It really is a character study of these three distinct characters um, played by uh, Woody Harrelson, Francis McDormand, uh, Woody Harrelson as Sheriff Willoughby, and then Sam Rockwell as, as Dixon. Um, and in that part, it, I found it to be very interesting uh, to watch. I felt, it's a, like I said, it's a very good movie. From my own personal taste, I found this to be a very difficult movie to watch. It, for me, it was a hard movie to get through. Not because it was bad. It's not like it was Phantom Thread. <clears throat> it was a difficult movie to get through for other reasons. But for me, it was. it's a movie that's about loss. It's a movie about... Uh, rage due to loss and where to place it when you have no place to put that rage and how one copes with it. And it's, you know, and then there was a character who's dying of cancer. So there, right there you've got three things that um, uh, I've had to deal with personally. And I understood at least the Frances McDormand character, albeit her daughter died very differently, but violent and crazy nonetheless. But dealing with that loss, I mean, there was something there for me that I was like, it was hard to watch, even as good as her performances. And, you know, watching Dixon, too, he's not the most likable character. And we'll get into Sam Rockwell's performance because he's still almost Archie Bunker-esque in that, yeah, he's a dope and a jerk and a bigot, but there's still something in there that you can find that you like about him. Uh, I also, uh, you know, I watched the movie, and I didn't know that Ebbing was a fictional town. They did such a great job of setting up this this yeah. Nebraska. It takes place in North Carolina. Right. <laughs> so I actually felt that. No, but, but they shot in North Carolina. But the yeah. deal is, and we'll talk Nebraska. about these plot points, I felt that was like, this was an alternate universe kind of a movie because I don't know in what universe a cop can throw somebody out a window, punch a woman in the face, and just not get fired right on the spot. And, like, nobody says boo. Uh, you know, and, and where suicide doesn't negate a, a life insurance policy. Um, you know, there, there were certain things like that that I found. But, again, when you're looking at nuance of character and performance, this movie has it all. I'm not going to say that... Many people find it entertaining, and I get it, uh, because it's different. It's different. It's a different movie than anything that's out there right now. Uh, but I think, you know, I was bringing my own baggage into this movie. And you can criticize me for that if you'd like, but I do think that with every movie that we go to as individuals, there is a certain amount of baggage that everybody brings to a movie, regardless of what the movie is, whether it's a comedy or whatever. So because of that, it made it a hard movie for me to watch. Uh, and and I think that was punctuated by Frances McDormand's uh, performance. Mm -hmm. um, I got it. She and she was fantastic in this movie. I <clears throat> I appreciate this movie enough. There was, as you mentioned, there's enough there that's widely different that I'd never seen uh, in a multitude of of arenas, really, uh, f even starting with the character perspective, and I know this is kind of jumping ahead, but but it's even even just the advertisement itself with having um, the three actors who would become the three central characters, 
Um, I thought that was quite interesting because they do become the three main characters. And each each of them has a unique arc. Maybe you could say Woody Harrelson doesn't quite have quite an arc. Um, but the impact and the goodwill he leaves on the movie, I've never seen before. Certainly not from a suicide. So I thought that in itself was interesting. And, the way, you know, Dixon is a very fascinating character. And, and he is able to re- redeem himself in some ways. Uh, and then as as time goes by... Uh, Mildred, to me, becomes more of a heinous character because she's not, you know, the goodwill that both of these people are trying to bring, and in particular Willoughby, she's not receiving. And uh, even, like, from Peter, you know, Peter Dinklage, I appreciate his character because he called her out. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, um, what I, what, the only conceit of the movie that I had that I, that I wasn't um, happy with is the ending where everyone's just still miserable and the only solution to that is, hey, we're going to go kill people. Yeah, that was my problem. So. I, and, and I get that, but do you not feel that there was any growth in Mildred because of that ending? Because, you know, to me specifically in that scene, yet, yes, they're going to go out on this, this, this mission of revenge. <clears throat> and um, along the drive, it's like, do you still want to do this? Meh. Well, the, Who knows? Yeah. And well, you know what? Let's let's just keep driving. We'll figure it out. I guess the question that to throw in the table is: Do you think they went through with what they originally set out to do, Marissa? No, and I think that the movie definitely leaves an ambiguous ending. I don't think I would like to think that they didn't, but because people make brash decisions when they're irrational <clears> or <throat> like when they get emotional, and I think. What more so bothered me with the story element and just the character development, they... So, Mildred spends this whole movie trying to just, like, seek the murder of her daughter and get justice for um, this unfortunate death and inhumane death, but then to reciprocate with the same type of revenge towards this person. Like, what... What message are you sending if you're only going to fight fire with fire? Too bad, too wrongs don't make a right, and <clears throat> and it just shows like it, I had a hard time with Mildred. I was like, you're you're trying to seek justice for a murder, and yet you want to murder someone else. Um, it was like it just didn't make her character as likable as she could have been at the end, um, because when you finally get that false sense of hope that hey they might have caught the guy. Um, but just to equal it out with the same, um, the same, anim- I don't want to say animosity, like the, 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 the same acts of something that killed and caused so much pain in your life, just to equal it with that, it, it just, it's not a good quality for a character. And it's, it makes the story at the end, like, not satisfactory. Well, number one for me, I 100% think they did it. I mean, th- these are two hotheads. He, you, you just mentioned that he threw some guy out the window. She threw uh, uh, Molotov cocktails at, at the police station. True. These are people that you know. I'm pretty sure they can go through with it. There's not, but but the the, the second part of it, the reason why I feel let down by the ending is because Willoughby wrote one of the most amazing letters, and, and to each of them, right. And it was so heartfelt, and, and, and Dixon's came last, and I think it was a great letter to sort of end on with last because he said, you know, try a little love, essentially, and you might be surprised with what you get. Did love fail? 
Is it? Okay, try a little love. If that doesn't work, go kill people. See, oh, like now I think love is the wrong term for this situation. I think just try a little compassion. And the way I took that is, too, is I think it did touch Dixon. I think each of the letters touched, I, I believe it touched Mildred. And how many movies do we have where a lead character is named Mildred? <laughs> so I think it touched Mildred, and I think it touched Dixon. And I think that's why it inspired Dixon to be a better investigator. Put aside this, right? Because even the new sheriff in town, uh, who eventually who fires him, not for throwing a guy out a window, mind you, just for mouthing off, he gets fired, right? But when he overhearing the whole thing where Dixon gets evidence, potential evidence. You know, even that the, the new sheriff in town says, that was good work, Dixon, right? So you get a sense that he can do this job. And you get a sense that even though Mildred and Dixon were at odds with one, of an, with one another, Dixon, through his love, or maybe his compassion, as you said, which is a good word too, and applicable, I think that he said, hey, you know, this guy has done some bad things. You know, he's, he, he should receive some justice. I'm not saying it's the right thing, but I think he only said that to her because he felt there was some, he felt something. He actually felt something from Mildred, right? Where he was fighting her the entire movie. And personally, I don't think that they, I don't think that they ended up, um, going through with their act of revenge murder. I think that they may have taken a road trip. I think there was a definite bonding, particularly in the scene when, hey, Dixon, I got to tell you something. I, I burned down the police station. And the line was like, of course you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, and right there in that instance, I think things changed. And when the question gets asked, when there was so much resolve to f- figure out this murder and get justice... But then the question comes up is, you still want to go through with this? I don't know really anymore. It's like, yeah, yeah, let's just keep on driving down the road. We'll figure it out. Hey, you got a granola bar or something. To me, that was the sense of the, the, the changing of the tide for both of these characters in a sense. Um, again, it's a hard movie when you're talking about rage. Look, if there's a, you can't, if there's no compartment to put this rage and this, this unsolved murder, there's, unfortunately, there are victims to that rage. And I'm not, I'm not condoning it, but I understood where that Mildred was coming from because no, she felt helpless. There was nothing that anybody can do. And yet she lost her daughter. And, I, I understand what, what she was do, coming was that from. No one was doing anything. But everybody had done what they could do at that point. She felt there wasn't enough, and when you're building up that so much rage, there's well, no place to put it. Let, even let, though people are doing the right thing to an extent. Let's take I a step it. back because sure. it's not okay. you know the the story's layered in such a way that it's not just pe- whether or not she's <laughs> critical of people doing their jobs or not doing their jobs. We don't know the exact reason how and why it happened. However, the last things that they said to each other was, maybe I'll get raped. Good, I hope you get raped. Mm-hmm. And so she lives with that guilt 
that she put that out into the universe. I don't necessarily know her philosophy, but she, you know, in her mind, she stamped that uh, vote of approval and said, "Hey, this is what's going to happen to you today." Boom, that's it. Um, so I don't think there's anything that people could actually do if they find this. She lives with that guilt, knowing that that's the last word she said to her daughter, and that she need, the only person that can resolve that is her. Right, and I think that's also where like the the rage bleeds in with just self personal atonement for what she said. Um, to to wish that upon your own daughter, yeah, that's that's a horrible thing to do. So like, and I think that's why she was channeling her anger and energy because she she wants it, yeah, justice for her daughter, but also to uh, you know clear her conscience as well. Yeah, and look, she ain't Mother Teresa. This Not woman, by any right? Means. I mean, uh, as from what we gather, right? Again, it all just comes back to what am I going to do? I, I feel as if, like, okay, she she said this harsh thing, but nothing. It's it's an unsolved thing. I've got all this rage. I got no place to dump it, and I'm trying to do the right thing, <clears throat> and. I'm trying to get people to listen, and it feels as if nobody's listening. And I understood where her character was coming from to an extent. I, I sympathized and empathized with her, but it was just hard to watch when when they were burning the billboards down, and she's trying to save those billboards. There was one time when she just had this primal scream, and good God, I had to look away um, because she could do nothing else. Um, yeah, it was a very nuanced performance by McDormand yeah, as well. I, I mean, I think that was a great performance, that particular scene, because it's <clears> heartbreaking <throat> as it is, and like how desperate she was to save those billboards, because that's literally the only thing she had going <laughs> on in her life. Right. And when that literally burns up in flames and right in front of her, she's left with nothing. Mm-hmm. Right. She, she basically has no family. I mean, she has a disconnect with her own son and stuff so like these billboards are the only thing that keeps her living and keeps her going in life and then they're burning up in flames she has nothing else right and there is one other example that i'll cite from the movie where i think that there is a a marked change within mildred and that is the scene that takes place on the date in the restaurant bar where her ex-husband comes in with the with the younger girl and she's there with um with Peter Dinklage's character. And it's interesting because she picks up her bottle of wine and starts walking towards her ex-husband's table. And you're thinking, oh, shit. She's just going to clock him. But she goes over there, puts it down, and she just tells the husband, "Like, take care of her. You make sure you take care of her. And she just turns around and walks away. And I'm like... To me, that was a sign of that was a sign of change, um, and she actually sort of felt something for this girl, regardless that this girl, you know, was very young, not the brightest, um, but still, she found something in that girl of an innocence that she knows that she had lost, and that perhaps she always believed her daughter had had, and I think she's protective of young yes. women. Because she reminded her of her daughter. Well, it's interesting that she is so insulting initially uh, about her simply because that's who the other guy is dating. But, you know, the the, the movie makes it very clear. They didn't 
that's not a guy you want to date. So the fact that she has any sort of ill content towards her, yeah, I, I think it should be 100% like, hey, just you shouldn't date this guy, not, oh, I hate the girl that you're dating. And there's that weird difference, but it's... It is that difference, and and and, and so I don't get it. She, she she's not as protective over that girl. But she can't prevent them necessarily from dating, and I think she realized like she has no into her husband's life. She's got or her ex husband, I should say. So I think the best thing that she can say, and she says it very forcefully, like like there will be a repercussion if he doesn't take care of her. That's at least what I read into that. And for the first time, she stuck up for that girl. I, I read it as, like, <clears throat> be a good man who doesn't treat women like shit. Well, yeah. Well, that's a good way to look at it, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like, coming from the women's perspective, I can see why she not necessarily was defending other woman, but she was making sure that the man wasn't being horrible to a woman mm-hmm. because a man did wrong to her daughter. Yeah, this... And the more we dissect this, the it is harder to process because part of what's toughened up Mildred in this way is the ex-husband you know so yeah she's trying to understand her daughter and 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 come to grips with that and get whatever the term might be but she's also dealing with her own life where you know she wasn't raped and murdered but uh, as close as they come you could say yeah but she was also in a situation where the ex-husband like what? Your blade on her? That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah, so like she's been in a world where like men can essentially like actually dangerously hurt women. So like she she just came from a protective standpoint. Like don't treat women this way. Right. I feel for her. It's a. It was it, an interesting scene, and again, I just say for me, it was evidence that there was a change. I mean. Up to that point, had she clocked him over the head with the bottle of wine, you wouldn't have been so surprised. To me, I was more surprised that she just put it down. Don't hurt her. Well, I think I think oh. the brilliance and the takeaway of this movie is that it, it's very tough, and you shouldn't pass judgment on things because you don't know how it's going to perspire. You know, it, it was very easy to paint Dixon and a portrait very early on. Not so easy by the end of the movie when you realize that shift. Uh, and I, same thing with Mildred, because as soon as she was mean to Peter Dinklage's character, I was like, ooh, you're not so nice yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even Willoughby, like, I think as nice as what he did was and the fact that he wrote everyone letters, I think that's quite unique. But the fact that, <clears throat> you know, he was sort of knowingly doing certain things, it's tough to say, like, was it right, was it wrong? And so, yeah, I, th- I think the interesting part is that you walk away with this movie not knowing what, what were the right choices and what were the wrong choices, right. and you start reassessing your own life of right. how can I pass judgment if there is no barometer. Right. Yeah, and, and again, I go back to, like, the billboards were stating, what have you done? Like, why haven't you found this? So they make it a point, like, there is this... It's an unsolved case, and they're trying to solve this case. And then this this stranger comes into town, the, the scene in the gift shop, right? Oh, and creeper. Again, when you... Right, and this is the same guy that was in the bar, who was drunk at the bar, right? So there's a... 
there's this great like focus and you're like oh absolutely this guy's the murderer and when it comes out it's like yeah we did a dna test yeah it's not him you're like what how how did he know so much about the case and how did he know so much about mildred where she would be and what to say and why would anybody do that why would you do that to a person if you had no involvement whatsoever unless he was in one way shape or form involved why would you talk about it to a friend and then so cavalierly so cavalierly and then disgustingly jokingly say oh wow you know she looked great crispy or something and how does that person not be involved in one way shape or form that to me was another thing that sort of kind of they made they 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 stack up so much evidence, and then to say, "Yep, it's not our guy," like I had misplaced rage. <laughs> no, I think you know um, where I don't think it could have gone too far into this, but I think it's. Uh, I feel like you, you both of you guys have read enough like thrillers and murder type mysteries to, mm-hmm. you know, you, you sort of get into a certain um, criteria and you're like, ooh, good. But there's a whole other list of criteria. And in fact, it's uh, not to get too heady on, on this, but um, there's a notion that uh, if if you have the same amount of information, but if your confidence level shoots up, you, um, it can be worse because, like, you're conf- because of your confidence level, you get so <clears throat> blindsided by what actually is. And so in that case, we as an audience are so blindfolded by the facts of like, boom, 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 boom. This has to be the guy. Eh, doesn't Understood. necessarily have to. No, it, it's like the audience wants it to be the guy. Absolutely. Mildred wants everyone, it to yeah, be the everyone guy. Everyone wants it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, but it was really set up that way. And uh, hey, granted, I'm, I'm all up for a twist. And that was a twist. It wasn't him. And then what do we do? Because, see, again, this goes to uh, the anger management or the rage, right? <laughs> Dixon actually did something that was right. And he did it by procedure. Getting the DNA. By the book. He was a good cop. Okay? And he told Mildred what he was going to do and why. And when, when you do the right thing in building up evidence and then... You still, like, in a sense, you fell. He was told, it's not our guy. That rage that, that Mildred has, it's like, oh, my God. I, I finally got someone to my side. He did it by the book where he's not going to get thrown out. And still I don't have an answer to this. That, too, like, I understand the motivation for why that conversation why these two ended up getting together and I do think that by the end of the movie there was an acceptance and in a sense a mutual respect her coming out to him and saying I torched the police station he just like of course you did I, I just felt that that line of dialogue together there was an acceptance of them both and there was not when they went back to Ebbing they wouldn't have that antagonistic um, rapport that they had at the beginning of the movie. And maybe uh, Dixon is a better man, too, from his hospital visit. Maybe. And also getting pummeled so. to, to almost death. <clears throat> yeah, it, it kind of 
like lights a light bulb a bit then. Yeah, I think that was self punishment. Yeah, and I, getting beat to. Oof, but also, it was. Yeah. I don't want to say warranted, but <laughs> yes. he he needed it. <laughs> he, he, did. he actually needed it for a character change of turning a new yeah. leaf. So he needed to a kick in the ass. Exactly, <laughs> literally. Yeah. Well, and but you know that hospital scene was quite a good turning point because as soon as. Um, that kid finds out that it's him. A grand coincidence, by the way. But yes. It's a but, small town. <laughs> but, but nonetheless, he has every right to, first off, be a dick, but secondly, not do anything. And he's still like, all right, I'm going to get you the water. You know, like, what, 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 Here's the what purpose, what benefit is it for me to not help you, despite what you may have done to me? Yeah, like to still be angry at you. Very well acted scene, by the way, too. That Caleb Landry Jones is red uh, in that scene. Because as soon as Rockwell gets put into that room, Rockwell obviously knows what's up. Knows what's up. And he doesn't know who he is. But Rockwell tells him, which is, uh, and again, I think a slight change of character. It was also well. like a, a difference of a, a power shift too, because True. he, you know, when Dixon is literally immobile, he cannot move. This is the only time Red actually has the upper hand and could right. actually physically hurt could have him done more and, harm. and dominate him. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, I think it, it just shows that Dixon was actually finally put in his place. Yep, and I think he learned through example of what was written in Willoughby's letter. Yeah, and I think. And that, the interesting part to me is when you look at Dixon, uh, Dixon as a character, he's always he's looking really for a mentor, right? He's looking for the right path in life. And he thinks that it, it comes from his mother. And he knows that the, the more path is through Willoughby, but he also has a, a wrong notion of who and how Willoughby acts. And isn't until you know he reads the letter and goes through literal footsteps or figurative footsteps whatever you want to call them that he yeah he gets this understanding right and realizes yeah maybe i shouldn't listen to mom (laughs) who's a chain smoke and uh, not so nice person yeah the the mother and but it also kind of explains why dixon is the way way he is is. like when the mother is so against (laughs) people in society it makes sense that that would transfer to like that's the way he was raised too he doesn't care crap about people and he's still living at home yeah he can't escape it yeah Yeah. he can't he can't escape it so to your point it seeps in that's the you know if that's the way you're raised it's nature versus nurture there and that's nurture that's the way you're raised i'm not condoning it but when 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 the badness comes from the top it can seep in. You brought up a good point because um, Dixon was always looking for uh, uh, acceptance in a in a sense. Yeah. Even even when his actions were bad, by the right? Well, the mother, but there's also the desk sergeant. Mm-hmm. You know, there was ex- you know he he would always go to the desk. Oh, what did you think of that? Or you know, um, and the desk sergeant. I mean, you know, he was just so ambivalent. To like everything, he's like, so what do you think? I'm suspended. No, no, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> you're out. See you later. Yeah. Finally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, so there were weird relationships taking place throughout the entire movie, and and I and ultimately that's why I believe this movie is more about character and the relationships um, than it is about the 
the trying to figure out the hows and whats and whys of what happened. Yeah. Uh, in this movie. Well, I think that's that's why <clears throat> it resonates for so many people. I think it, it's very of the times. And, and what's interesting is that it places it in a, a literal unknown place, a place that does not exist but could exist. Uh, and, you know, you could tie it into so many different things. You could tie it to the women's movement. You could tie it to... Um, you know the 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 minority movement where they feel oppressed by um, cops and everything of that nature, and you could tie it to a political movement where where people are just so frustrated with what's going on in the country that they they feel like they have no literal voice of representation, and and so yeah, what do you have to kind of turn to? Uh, and the answer is it's not always pretty. Right, yeah. and and I think that's the the sad. But real thing about this film, it's so there's so many elements of this film that's so rooted in truth and in a lot of different aspects, like the ones that you just mentioned, that it's actually really not that far from reality. It's it's actually a very believable town with very believable people and their their values and their belief system that when you watch this film, it's oddly very similar to reality. Yeah, I mean, it's a microcosm of life that represents the larger portion of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, albeit it's a small town. So you take that out of the city, the hustle and bustle of the city, and you're able to pace this movie in which you actually get to know people. Because it, it is a languidly placed, you know, paced town itself. Everybody does know each other. In a sense, it's the type of Americana that, you know, we see in movies often. But there is this, and this is where it becomes Cohen Brother-esque, is because, but there's a darkness that's running underneath this town. Of 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 anger, of of bigotry and racism, and and how are we going to how are we going and violence and how are we going to deal and cope with all of this? Um, particularly when our one main person takes himself out of the equation uh, very early on. Where is your moral compass going to go? And by through his letters, by being a spirit or ghost and writing these letters, um, hoping that he can change people's moral compass so that they can go down a right direction. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's let's take a kind of quick step back and talk about the development, and then that'll spread into the other story, um, other story elements we have yet to talk about. Um, so, as far as his inspiration for the billboards, he. He saw billboards like this in, in Florida, um, and so he kind of was like, "Oh, okay. Well, you know, let me let me put something together because it's interesting. I've never seen something like this." Um, and he created a fictional scenario around this, um, and everything sort of fell into place. Yeah, and I believe that. And like he, you tend to see it with smaller towns, and um, you know, like and I come from small towns, so I know small billboards where people can actually get away with their personal opinions and um, actually voice their opinions on billboards to actually light fires under the people's asses to get something done. So I actually believe that, and, um, and not to say just like these states, but like southern and midwestern states tend to be way more conservative in some aspects, and um, and like they'll voice their opinions in in a very right. I don't want to say small minded way, but it, like in a way that will like set off flags for people, right? And 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 to McDonough, um, he himself like it's a, it's a crime film. It's that's not a crime film. It's almost like an anti crime film. You know, he says 
he feels that this movie, Three Billboards, feels, and he did this on purpose, he wanted it to feel different from most crime films because there's the lingering question of what if there is no solution to this crime? In many crime films that we see, <clears throat> let's just say right now, 99% of them because of this yes, one movie, there's some semblance of a re- resolution. Um, whether the bad guy gets away and we know he's the bad guy and he got away with it or whatever, right? So the other way to look at this movie, uh, and it's the way Francis McDormand looked at this movie too, is it is sort of kind of a Western. Even when you listen to the music, we, open, we listen to the opening themes, she, in a sense, uh, you know, Willoughby is the sheriff of this town, right? And there are good guys, bad guys. Um, we have our We have our tropes of what our heroes should be. And you know, Mildred is an anti-hero. She's trying to figure out a crime. She's trying to figure out what happened. And when you look at it as a Western, a Midwest town, um, it's a one-horse town, so to speak, uh, it's a very interesting notion, and I appreciate the way that she approached this, too. Um, and the music, I think, approaches it that way. Well, um, she studied John sense. Wayne in particular. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, certainly an iconic Western man, uh, for sure. And, yeah, I think in, in, in other things that inspired it, uh, Deer Hunter, you see elements of that, I mm-hmm. think, uh, for those of you who've seen the movie. If you haven't, um, I don't want to spoil. <laughs> <laughs> good movie. Check it out. It is a good movie. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it has all these elements and um Woody Harrelson, as as little time overall as he is on the actual screen, he leaves a such an impact. But B, I, I just love his performance mm-hmm. um, because you don't want to say like at first you kind of wonder like is he undermining Mildred? Does he have a huge case of that? I don't cares, and that completely shifts as time goes by, um, and it goes to show first impression shouldn't drive your overall impression of right. a character. Certainly not in this movie. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree, and I think Woody Harrelson is great. I liked his character because at the beginning you want the audience like led to believe that it was just pure negligence on his part, but you do find out that he did everything that he could and just really stopped pursuing it because he essentially hit an impasse. Um, but also like the way he treated his wife and stuff, like you knew on some level he was a good guy. And like you felt for him, but also as uh, as terrible as his suicide was, it did actually light the fire for other people to actually be like, oh hey, it gave people motivation to actually look into this case and actually start taking the initiative and do something about it. Right, and 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 Willoughby is an interesting character, and uh, even as our our writer uh, and director here. Uh, Martin McDonough says of Willoughby, um, basically, he's like, you know, he's a character, he's a decent man who tends to see the best in people, which through the letters we see that. He goes, and he wrote him as an archetypical archetypal, good smart town cop. And but we discover early on he's not in the best of health, and now he's facing up to some dark choices and dark realities. Mildred goes against him, and again too. At the beginning of the movie, we you understand Mildred's rage. She feels that the cops didn't do aren't doing their job, and you can you can understand that. And 
so at the beginning, for, you know, she's doing what she's doing for all the, we believe, right reasons. But yet Willoughby has his own good reasons to act the way he's acting. So the, that puts these two characters not necessarily at odds, but we now, once we learn of, the, of that cancer and everything, we see the motivation. And you're right. I think that this was a great performance by, uh, by Woody Harrelson. Uh, only second to two, like his performance uh, in, in Edge of Seventeen, I thought was brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Yes, that was a good one. And mm-hmm. what he's shown throughout the years is uh, he's a good actor. You know, he can play good. He can play bad. You know, he's definitely shed, um, you know, his Woody uh, persona from Cheers, albeit I know he, that's what gave him his rise to fame. Oh, and again, yeah. when you watch Cheers, he is brilliant in that role. Right. So but you would never think if you were just watching Cheers that maybe Woody Harrelson would amount to much. But within the past couple of years, you've seen him in a lot of things where he's played different characters. He's been and he's great. to he's he's great to watch. It's great to watch. And he was particularly good in this movie. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's let's focus on Mildred in particular and, and Francis uh, Dorman, obviously. Because she's getting a lot of notoriety, and she's the one who kicks this movie off, whether or not she's the main character. We sort of debated, but um, I think one of the interesting parts is she didn't feel the role, even though the role was written for her, she felt it really wasn't for her, that it required someone younger. Which is interesting to think, but um, I, I, I can't even posit who would uh, play this role. You know? I think she's perfect. Yeah, I think she's great, and I think she does an amazing job of like coming across as a strong, authoritative woman who can actually get a message across, couldn't intimidate you at all the right moments, and like if you saw her, you you might actually be afraid and want to leave the room. So like she she commands such a presence that draws people's attention, and you actually have to listen to her because if she's saying something, good chances you should pay attention, um, and it's. <laughs> Like and there's only a few actors that can like actually do that, and she she does such a great job. And something about Mildred is that you kind of just love the woman who just says things just as it is because I, I feel like women tend to be um, I, I don't want to say like brought down a bit, but they're they're more like <coughs> reserved when they speak. But like Mildred gave no fucks. <laughs> and. No. It was actually fun to watch. It's fun to watch when a woman just like says it as it is and calls people out on it. Sure, um, and and Martin McDonough had said that he's he really had Francis McDormand in mind for writing Mildred, and to him he felt you know there weren't any other actresses he thought that had all the elements that Mildred needed, and obviously I think many of the actors chosen. There were many elements to every performance, but particularly Mid- Mildred. She had to be in touch with with a kind of working class sensibility uh, as well as a rural sensibility and she had to be someone who wouldn't sentimentalize the character she never once sentimentalized that character at all in all of Francis's work and I agree it's fundamentally truthful even when you watch a movie like Fargo now there is a funny story too about 
about this. Um, McDormand uh, apparently ran into McDonough about 15 years prior. Um, she had just watched uh, his play The Pillow Man. And after briefly talking about his new film career, she suggested he write a film role for her. And McDormand goes on to say, as soon as I said the, the, the words right out of my mouth, she goes, I wish I could have taken him back because you're not supposed to do that. But then 15 years later, he sent me the script and I read it, loved it. And I just think that it's funny from a relationship that started 15 years ago. Now, why among comrades, you know, colleagues, friends, comrades, you can't say, geez, I wish you'd you should write a script for me. Why not? But maybe this, I don't know. Well, I think that maybe I, I get it. You don't want to come off as as, as pushy. Right. Maybe maybe something better for for those of you out there. Hey, we should collaborate. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's a more appropriate yeah. version yeah. of that. But hey, you know, whatever. And it took fifteen years, but you know, uh, again, I I can't I can't think. You know, maybe Annette Benning. I don't know. Maybe Sigourney Weaver. Maybe Sigourney Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver could be because she she could be tough as nails too. Sigourney Weaver would have been. Yeah, I was like, there's really, if you think about it, there's a few women that could come to mind, but I think Frances just does a great job, like with that presence of an authoritative calling out, and these she's calling out police guys, you know, like actual. People in the law enforcement, and for for two minutes she has to seem vulnerable. Again, the scene in the gift shop where that stranger walks into town, right? You're worried for her life. She, well, she was too. Exactly. <laughs> I actually got the sense that for the first time she was actually scared, and she was not gonna exactly know what to do. And then a few scenes later. You know, she kicks two kids in the private parts for throwing a can at her car. That scene was very, very funny, by the way. I thought it was like, she threw the kid in my car? What kid? Boom! <laughs> Did you throw the kid? I didn't. Boom. And I was like, oh my God. But and like, she, she hits another girl. A girl. <laughs> All right. Hey, listen. Mom is also like the same age as your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate just the, the nonchalant scene. of like, okay, if you're going to, if your parents aren't going to raise you right and you're going to be a little prick about it, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't care who you are. <laughs> that was a funny scene. No, that's good. Yeah, she gets in the car and drives away. <laughs> Thanks, Ma. <laughs> I was like, good. Millennials do need a kick in the ass. Right. <laughs> Uh, what did you guys think about the son speaking of which, and since we're kind of on that? Because, you know, yeah, there's a side to him. He's just embarrassed because, you know, he, he of course, is going to be ridiculed at school. Um, and uh, what's interesting, I, I feel like there's a side to him that really believes what his, what his mom's doing is somewhat noble, but perhaps some of the ways in which she's going about it are just complete head scratchers to him. And he's like, okay, like, stop. Right. I, I think, I mean, Lucas Hedges is <clears throat> great. We, we talked well about him in Manchester by the Sea and Lady Bird. Right. Um, so I, I think he's a really good actor. And I think it just shows, like, you feel bad for this guy because he raised by these two people. <laughs> these two crazy people in their own sense. So, like, you just feel bad because that's the life that he, he was brought up in. But you do feel bad as a a sibling who also lost his daughter. So uh, on some level, like he's dealing with loss, but also dealing with the anger of his, of his parents. He's just stuck in a rock and a hard place. Unfortunately. Yeah, he is. He's in like an unenviable position and he wants to love his mother. 
Well, he's also the to, only one that right. knows the truth of what happened before. He he was present when she said, "I hope you get raped." Right. Mm-hmm. So he has that to contend with. Right. Yeah, and then he well, he was also fighting against his father too, who right. beats up his mother right in front of him. So that's the life that he he has to live with, and it's it's actually sad. You just feel bad because he's in a terrible situation. Oh, awful! And and there's nothing. It's one thing to have um, a smothering mother. Okay. She's not a smothering mother. She's almost the exact opposite. And she's so, like, in your face. I mean, she kicked two of his classmates, a male and a female, in their private parts, gets in the car and just leaves them there. And he knows he's going to be like, oh, God, Mom. Like, why? Yeah. I was like, why? She embarrasses him. For different reasons, not because she like smothers him and kisses in front of everybody, but it's like it's your action. mom's weird. Your mom's really mean, and he's got to live with that. And at the same time, he loves his mom. He knows, you know, it was his sister uh, that was murdered, and and Lucas Hedges plays it really well. Um, again, the scene at the fu- you know the fire. Uh, again, tough scene to watch, but everybody, he was, I like the son. Uh, you felt bad for the son. Uh, but it felt like, it felt like he was waiting a for problem. a moment to have a meaningful dialogue with her and it just never, never came. Happened. Cause he wanted that, that was part of that fire scene. Like he did what was needed. He brought those things to her, but, but he was trying to say like, like, let it go. <clears throat> and, and she was like, No. And you knew, like, he was trying to pick his spot of when to get in and just say, like, okay, like, enough's enough. Right. She wasn't having any of it, and he just let it go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There was no, that opportunity was not going to present itself. Yeah. Unless he really wanted to be as bullheaded as her and just say, Mm -hmm. all right, we're talking. And you're right. He was looking for that. It's a good observation. He was looking for that meaningful conversation, that next step um, that was never coming for him because... Her focus was so much on this that he most likely the way I read it was there was a neglect that he was feeling for her being an actual. Yeah, I think his problem was he was just an innocent bystander in all of this. Oh, yeah. And he has no control over it. No. It's a line I forget from what movie, but, you know, uh, it applies to so many different things. Like, you're not the only one grieving. And I could very well hear him saying that if they actually had a conversation. It's like... And the, the 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 part about Miltred that I don't like is she has that very narcissistic side to her, and yeah, very much I want to slap her and say you're not the only one grieving. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it's it, yeah. He's uh, as Sam Rockwell said, it's supposed to be deliberately messy and a difficult film. So. Yes. It's all of that. (laughs) There's no easy way around it. No. Um, On a more lighter note, Sam Rockwell wore padding to make his character appear chubbier. (laughs) That I can say with full confidence. (laughs) Uh, So there you go. Um, Yeah, anyway. um, Should we get more into the the production side of things unless there's something that's absolutely... uh, Die, that you're dying to talk about from well, a story perspective. You know, again, through the certain just perspective of Dixon, and again, you know, Dixon seems to be everything you would despise in any person. 
whether it be male and or female. Right. <clears throat> you don't like those qualities at all. Um, and I think where the writing and the performance really, too, um, you know, th- there is something in him. Uh, and again, it, it, I, I can only liken him to Archie Bunker because of his misplaced ignorance about people and things um, that there, there, you can tell that there is some semblance of a, a warmth. You can tell that he's, he could be a good cop if he applied himself. Mm-hmm. He could have been the chief of police or the new sheriff in town had he just channeled emotions differently and applied himself to doing it because it shows that. And I think that's a very... We talk about how can you like a bad guy? Well, this is a guy where you could have sort of ambiguous, like you, you don't hate him, hate him. By the end of the movie, you like, like, in I don't know. To me, I always find those characters to be very fascinating to watch. I'm not saying he's the protagonist. I don't condone the actions. Well, let's talk about it because uh, Martin is he he is upset by the backlash over. him being a racist but he said you know i'm not making movies for six-year-olds so yeah it's going to be a little bit polarizing um what do you guys feel about that side of it where people are saying oh what they're saying and so but to me where i'm my stance on it is that okay if you feel like there isn't racism in america and that we shouldn't portray it in a certain character in a film that is very much an adult and is trying to talk about certain messages or at least create a dialogue then what world do you live in and I want to move there and to take that a step what this movie does too is because we have Willoughby who has seen Dixon's actions and in fact he's also been called on the floor to it too what do you keep this guy around for he's Mm -hmm. like you know you don't see him every day like I do there's a good side of him trying to get out trying to give him that opportunity and he's the only person that was on his side, in, in all honesty, in that town. Except for Mother. Except for Mother. But she hated him, too. Right. She was bruised. She was like, you piece of crap. You're right. So that, to me, is, is, is very interesting that somebody saw that there, there could be a goodness in him and kept him on a police force where you're really not supposed to have any racism on a police force. And he kept it around because he did see something in him, and he wanted to try to encourage that. There aren't that many movies that will take that attitude towards someone who's a full-on bigot and racist. And this movie does tackle it. And that letter being the last letter. What's well, the idea so that you can change somebody and that you can positively affect someone's <clears throat> life no matter what you know the, their level of hatred, let's say? Uh, which I think is, I, I, if you really stop and think about it, that's actually a positive message. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, and so what? So what? Just because someone's not the way you foresee them or want them to be, that you should quit on them? Like, yeah, that's not good, right? <laughs> and that just builds more resentment mm-hmm. and evil because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah, I like. I, I liked the the fact that like he saw like something within Dixon that the audience didn't see immediately because it was so masked by his <clears throat> vo- verbal comments and, and, and actions, and which is really sad <clears throat> when that speaks louder than, you know, what is actually there. Um, but it, it does show that, like, D- 
Dixon, on some level, had a redeeming quality because he could have just sat on his ass and with his mother watching TV, drinking beers, um, instead of actually taking the initiative to get the DNA, talking to this guy, maybe questioning him to see if he had any involvement. Like, he didn't have to do that, but he did. Yeah, he didn't. It was a time in which he actually felt useful to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I felt the letter, the, the, the letter was what pushed him to go through that. It inspired him. If that letter never came, he was never going to change. Well, yeah, it was also like just what also was happening when he was reading the letter. He was literally getting blown up (laughs) by Mildred because she was blowing up the place. That's a great scene. So there's like a lot of different factors that actually physically and mentally forced him to change. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of which, it should be noted that Mildred, I I appreciate the fact that she had um, for, for as little support as she thought she had she actually had more than she did bargain for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she got willoughby she never expected willoughby to be on her side but peter dinklage uh um you know the just even the uh, just the random people um what's his name the uh the, the guy who sets up the billboards right oh, yeah. right right i mean Red. there were nice people in this town they weren't all shit heels i mean yeah, also- james is peter Ding- peter dinklage it's actually a nice guy. Well, yeah, right for feel them. bad for right. him too. But yes. also the 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 secondary guy who actually physically put up the billboards, and he came yes. back and was like, right. "I have I have a second print if you want me to put that up for right. you." So like she, like you said, she had <clears throat> friends in places she didn't know, and she had the friend who ran the gift shop too. Yeah. Um, well, the press was not her friend. No. No. I loved how she called out that reporter. Like, yeah. live on Put that on the 5 p.m. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Because that's also in the trailer. And when I watched the trailer, I was like, yeah, I would totally see this. <laughs> it's yeah. it's going to be good. Um, all right. So let's, let's shift gears. Um, I think the, fast, the, the, the story of them filming this is quite fascinating. They went to North Carolina. I, Last about a month, just just a little bit over, but they they shot in these various locations and they let the public sort of be part of it, whether as extras or just observe. Right. Uh, and in fact, um, Woody Harrelson was so nice that he just signed autographs on his, you know, off time. Right. That's awesome because you know I, I love when stories like that because when films go to smaller town locations, yeah, the small towns are usually going to eat them up because they have nothing else going for them. That, right. I mean, that sounds terrible, but I come from a small town, so I know. Uh, because here in LA, when you see productions, you're like, oh crap, I have to take another route to to work. Um, whereas where it's so more like it's an not, event. Yeah, it's right. like it's not as common for the small town people. They're like they they're generally more welcoming. And, and, like, wants to get involved. And usually for small-time productions, they let the actual people from the town be in the movie yeah. as extras and, like, serve their purpose. And the townspeople actually made, like, their yeah. tchotchkes, you know, <laughs> ebbing. And they, they had a good time there. Um, but, again, I, the, way I, the, the way I think about it is, too, is that sometimes a film production can come into a town and just take over. Right. And people aren't happy when you just take over. But when you're in a small town and you allow the townspeople to be part to see part of what's going on, there's always a fascination as to how movies are made. And when you don't It's what keeps us in down, business. Well, right. <laughs> Absolutely. And 
you know, and, and when that doesn't happen in your town often, it's not like Los Angeles, right? There's a big, oh, my God. Oh, and Woody Harrelson definitely has a name for himself, right? And when the people are nice, they sign autographs. Hey, we're going to put you, you're going to be an extra. Like, that's welcoming. I think it's good for the business. Well, I think it goes a step further, right? Both both your sentiments work, and that's nice enough. Uh, it, you know, the police station itself was not a police station. It, it, right. it was a place that they rented. It was a furniture store that they graciously allowed them to to make over, essentially, into right. a police station, which is, you know, um, that, that's awfully nice. You don't have to do that. Right. right. Um, so... Certainly, it goes to, to that level of extent, and uh, it, it works quite nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just cinematography-wise, I mean, it's just a gorgeous movie in general. <laughs> That's why I thought there was a real ebbing <laughs> until I realized I did it. You know, I have a friend who's from Missouri, and I almost made the faux pas of going, "Hey, have you ever been to this ebbing?" <laughs> Glad I researched it first because it seemed like maybe you could tell them it was a joke. You were joking. Yeah, I, I, well, I never asked it. It definitely <laughs> seemed like a midwestern town. You know, like yeah. you got you got the back country roads, and, and like I think there's a line in the movie where like, oh, you took this exit out or in into town because right. that's such a small town. There's always different ways to get in and out of your right. small town. Um, like, and you got the scope of the actual land. Like, you can see downtown from your backyard or wherever it is Mm -hmm. like it definitely felt like a small town vibe right and and but but a believable small town vibe Mm -hmm. like like when that film crew packs up and leaves so long folks life goes back to normal in that small town and the conversation was wow we were just in a movie and but but life just goes on for them and uh, I felt there wasn't like so much disruption that there was in such goodwill that they just left that town on such a positive note that, yeah, it's still that small town. But now they have a little bit of something special. Hey, their town's going to the Academy Awards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Um, as far as editing, uh, it was, in- you know, um, we talk about editing a lot, and as far as this goes, uh, Martin made sure his editor was available far in advance. He was like, hey, you're going to be free to do this. You're going to be free to do this. Mm-hmm. And um, he was, luckily. And, and they, well, as they were shooting, when we hear these stories a lot, as they're shooting, they're putting this thing together. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great, because then you can start to get a feel for a movie like this. And um, other people have attributed, like I think Francis McDormand, she attributed that he was very calm as director because he knew what he wanted and then so as you're sort of seeing this assembly start to come together it only reaffirms okay great we've got something cool here yeah and and they were very choice with the editing too and the placement of certain scenes um, for the character building because they're you know the flashback with Mildred and her daughter that was actually placed later in the film and they made the conscious effort to and decision to actually move it closer in earlier in the film because you wanted to establish that Mildred does feel bad because mm-hmm. um, throughout the entire film, if the flashback was later in the film, you wouldn't feel for this character anymore. But since they put it earlier, he, the audience is already feeling for right. her. And also just for the building of Dixon's redemption arc, too, they had to like uh, 
like really make his character somewhat like build up to a redemption compared to just making him bigot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and being in the firehouse and the way that was filmed as well. Um, you know, we talk about too. There is the relationship between the director and his crew with Francis McDormand. Um, they were uh, antagonistic, and I'm putting quotes around that on set, so, <laughs> so that like she would, like he would say suggest notes, and she would nah, that's a, I don't believe that I should do that. But they found it to be helpful only for her performance. And the director didn't take anything by it. She was in her character. Um, and I think, that's really cool. That's really fun. Like, they they, they were per- almost in a sense purposely harassing one another. But out of, let's push this. Let's get this. I know you don't hate me, <laughs> um, but we're gonna we're doing this for the art. They yeah, pushed their, the buttons, push their in the buttons in the right way. Hara- harassing, maybe not the <laughs> yeah, tough. Yeah, exactly. But absolutely, and that's great. You know, I, I, I think that you ultimately want that, right? If you're playing a sport, you want a coach that pushes you in the right ways because right. you'll get better. Or you know, that's why rivalry, rivalries in athletic competitions are amazing because right. it's that person that takes you to the next level because you want to beat him. And so, in this sense, it's great. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. want to work with people that elevate, not lower. You. Yeah, and do it in a way. Like we talked about, uh, you do it in a way that's uh, respectful. Yeah, <laughs> respectful like, harassment. It's creatively challenging. <laughs> yes, to be better. Absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. Um, all right. Score wise, um, the challenging part for me it has, has been a while since I've last seen this movie, and I remember the score being something that stood out in a good way. It, it, it really fit the movie. Um, but I can't remember the specifics of the, the mechanics of how they were able to pull it off. Right. I think the moment where I definitely remember the score was when the billboards were on fire. Yes. Because it, it was like it literally built to such a climactic moment that everything was up in flames, and you just feel for her. And the music built to a crescendo that like it, it just evoked so much emotion because she she's just in a state of panic she's not really saying anything she's just desperately trying to put these fires out and the music definitely um like reflects that it reflects it too and carter burwell who did the composing on this it's it's interesting since we are talking about mildred and the fire for him what he felt the most important thing for the music to do was to keep the audience in mildred's heart and on her side which with that character, it can be very tough to do. And this is, a, this is a great shining example of how music, when not overbearing and done with purposeful meaning, can help lend empathy, sympathy, mm-hmm. for a character that could be harsh or rough around the edges, so to speak. And, um, you know, he said, so there are three basic themes in the score. Mildred's heart, Mildred at war, and death, which is the theme that surrounds not only Mildred's loss, but of Woody Harrelson's character, and all three themes are in that movie. So that, that they are. Where I thought um, all it, it, a scene that encompasses all the right elements—acting, mm-hmm. cinematography, sound design, and, and score—and uh, you could even say writing, editing, and all that—was uh, when 
when Dixon does throw out red. <laughs> because we, we just track that thing and, and we're just following this and it's got such it's active um, movement in all aspects. It just flows so well. It's a, it's a tough scene to watch, but it, as far as technical components... I don't think it gets better than that. No. no, it's great watching the camera literally following Dixon from the police, going across the street, up the stairs, and like beating the crap out of him to the point of throwing him out. You, that's like all one take. Yeah, and 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 it was done to such an effect that it doesn't pop out of the movie where you go, "Oh, they're just trying to be flashy," right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was meant to capture the brutality of the moment. And you don't realize exactly that technique that has been done in a lot of movies like Birdman, All One Take, and all this stuff. So it wasn't in this movie, it sort of takes you a couple of minutes to go, oh, wow, they're having cut. And, and then when you start to dissect that scene, you know, there is a reason why he comes up and he breaks the glass. Well, because he's got to get through. Cameron's going to follow him upstairs. But if you notice, too, what was great about, one of the things that was great about that scene, Dixon's clomping up those stairs. The camera goes down because he takes the gun out. And we are following the gun. And then he puts the gun back in and takes out, like, his baton, right? And what's fascinating is he throws the kid out the window. And at that point, you're going, holy shit, he just threw him out a window. Like, okay, where's the stunt person that's actually going to fall to the ground? Or what did do? And then, I mean, so that's brutal. And then the secretary gets punched in the face. And she goes down like a sack of potatoes. You're like, what? And he just walks down. He picks Red up again. Puts mm-hmm. And then he just walks back into the office. And I'm like going, the whole town saw it. It's not like it was in broad daylight. And then I'm like going. You're watching it. Yeah, I'm like going, huh. And he didn't get fired for that. Yep. <laughs> I go, wow, okay. Uh, it's just Dixon being Dixon. <laughs> I guess. Dixon being a dick. <laughs> But a powerful scene, and, and one that I didn't like. Uh, oh, look at uh, they were being tricky. Yeah, no, no, nothing tricky about that. And I, yeah. I think <clears throat> had they cut away from that, it wouldn't have been as impactful. Because oftentimes on movement like that, you cut uh, a because you don't have the coverage, or b you're trying to speed it up. I'm glad they didn't have to do both. Oh, I'm with you at all. Yeah. Um, and to watch it in real time is just. You're like, oh, my God, this guy is capable of anything right? in a matter of minutes. It, and it all started from him just looking out the window up to that office. And then he just gets up and you're like, what's going on? And then when There's he that the curiosity window, factor right? of like, yeah, what are you going to do? What's, what are you, what's he doing? And then he smashes the window outside of just opening up the door. <laughs> like there was nothing subtle about that scene. Uh, so. so that is a great moment in cinema history. Not for mankind, but for cinema, indeed. And it's played very well by all the actors. Uh, again, as a, as, a, as a moviegoer who watches a lot of movies, you figure, okay, he bounces off the roof. He's, they probably have like padding up there that he's falling on that we don't see. But somebody is falling now. Because or, or, it really seemed like somebody fell onto the ground from that. <laughs> it's like, okay, where's the stunt person? <laughs> Poor Red. 
poor red indeed all right so let's talk uh let's talk uh numbers shall we um it's always interesting to talk about these movies because they start off with limited release so talking about like opening weekend is a non-starter there however worldwide thus far quite a good chunk of change as i I checked a couple of days ago so uh the uh, over 100 million yeah yeah you know great yeah it's that's you know again 46 million domestic um 57 million foreign so which makes me wonder okay what do the foreign territories latch on to um to, to have a higher gross on this small kind of a movie right when it's <clears throat> when you look at a movie like The Mummy, which its foreign box office far out eclipsed the American box office, you know why. It's Tom Cruise, right? There are certain movies like that that'll do far better overseas because of talent involved. I'm wondering, what's the talent involved? Like, Francis McDormand's huge overseas, or is it Sam Rockwell? Or was it the storytelling? I'm trying to figure out what sparked... I think it's the such- story. Yeah. You know? think? I think it's as simple as that. No offense to any of the actors. I think it's just a good story. Yeah, because yeah, it's this, it's human nature type of story. Yeah. So, which is relatable to anyone, no matter right. what country you're in. Yeah, and we talked about Darkest Hours a few weeks ago, and that too is a worldwide hundred million dollars. Yeah, and it's like, also you know, those movies do good foreign internationally because geographical location in the movie is sure. also ge- like yeah. foreign to us. Right. And, you know, 46 mil domestically. Again, for a movie whose uh, budget was estimated at $12 million, Fox Searchlight has done quite well. Yeah, that's a big you know? return just domestically. Just yeah. domestically, it's a huge return. So, um, you know, kudos. Uh, you know, they marketed it well. It got this Golden Globe and Academy Award press, which they were taking advantage of. And, um, yeah, I mean, $46 million is nothing to sneeze at for a movie. And, and you got to think of it, too. $12 million, uh, there's the P&A, and then there's the Academy campaign. So that's going to inflate, you know, your P&A, your publicity and advertising, your prints and advertising. So... You know, maybe <clears throat> maybe all in it was forty million that they're putting into this. But when you're looking at forty six and it's gonna go up, and then when you look at fifty seven from foreign territories, yeah, they're, they're, they're gonna do numbers. pretty well. Yeah, those are really good numbers. Absolutely. And ninety three on Rotten Tomatoes, I think deserved. Unlike uh, we just talked uh, for those of you curious, we talked Phantom Thread. We felt that was undeserving. Mm-hmm. That's our <laughs> Um, yeah, and I, I thought it worked really well. Um, they summarized as three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Deftly balances black comedy against searing drama and draws unforgettable performances from its veteran cast along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and Sam Rockwell has already won an award for this role as well. So, I mean, he's in good contention for Academy Award for Best right. Supporting. And Francis, she's, she's the front runner. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I want to... I said this was Coen Brother-esque. Months ago, we talked about this movie called Suburbicon, which was written by the Coen Brothers, right? Okay. Uh, I remember you liking it most. But you liked it more than we did. Right? I mean, I'm I'm not saying you loved it. I'm I'm not saying you're even recommending it. But I'm saying when I look at that movie, 
That movie wanted to be this movie. Three Billboards. And Three Billboards nails that Fargo-esque feel because we actually get to know the characters and their quirks. You have, you know, these are quirky characters that are, they're not so far out of touch that they're unrelatable. You can understand. Well, there's an honesty to them, and the Suburbicon lacked an honesty, I would say. Anyway, check that movie out. Check out our anatomy if you care or don't. (laughs) I'll live either way. Mm -hmm. Um, A minus on cinema score, so definitely good, good. Word of buzz and so forth. Moving, moving it forward. Definitely a lot to to look forward to. And um, as we sort of wrap this up, I'm I'm most curious. I really, if if out of all the Oscar movies that I wanted to continue a dialogue with, I, I, I this would be the movie. Um, simply because there's it just has so many gray areas, mm-hmm. and it's a push and pull type of movie that uh, that I really want to know where people stand on. You know, and I want to talk marketing for a bit, too, because, okay, so when I first read a description of this movie, uh, I'll be honest, I I was like, nope, nope, because the description said a mother uh, mourning the loss of a daughter. And I'm like, nope, I don't don't need to see anybody mourning losses. I I just, it's hard for me to see. Then I started to hear how good this movie was. Then you see the trailer. And then I was like, okay, well, maybe this movie goes down a different path. Right? <laughs> and then I saw the movie. I was like, oh, it went down a different path. Okay. <laughs> but not, not quite the happy-go-lucky path that maybe because they were trying to make it feel, at least from the trailers and the television advertising, that it had that quirkiness that a Fargo had. Um but man, you know, Frances McDormand's uh, performance, like I said, for me, it ended up being a difficult movie uh, to watch. But I understand the love that's being thrown to this movie because it is different. It's told differently than other movies that we've seen this yeah. year. And that is a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. When we see something that's an attempt at being original. Absolutely. That works. Mm-hmm. Gotta applaud it. All right. Uh, Well, thank you guys, as always, for joining us. We do appreciate you spending time with us. It means the world to us. We have fun doing it, so hopefully you have fun, you know, with us. Uh, Anyway, uh, as I made mention, do comment below. Let us know. Spread the word that we are out here doing this. We are completing our Oscar run of movies, talking about them. Uh, We'll try to do some sort of Oscar-type uh, prediction stuff. Sometimes sure. a lot of you guys have fun with that. Um, nonetheless, in the meantime, you can interact with us more directly for, with Marissa. Her t- social media is at Serafini TV. That's right. And at D Movies seventeen oh one for the Dimitri Panos, the one and only. <laughs> Thank God, there's only one. <laughs> Many people will attest. And uh, I'm at Phil Svitek, and of course, this is the Popcorn Talk Network. Anthony, who is our gracious engineer for this series. Um, Anthony, you want to give a plug to your show on the network? We don't have to stop the music. You just give a little <laughs> plug. Uh, Anthony's not here today. It's Juliet on the mic. Hi. Hi. Yeah. You guys did a bait and switch. No, I knew it. I do the Versace show on AfterBuzz TV, which is really, really neat. You guys should check that out. And yeah, thank you. All right. Well, Anthony does the horror, horror, uh, movie news. horror movie news. That's it. 
Um, so definitely check that out on Popcorn Talk. And yes, check out Versace on uh, After Buzz TV. In the meantime, thank you guys as always. We truly, truly appreciate you. Uh, we'll see you next week for more movies. And of course, if you're bored and, and can't fill your week, go through the library of, of shows that we've done. Yeah, go pick Hundreds. up. I mean, yeah, there's so many Blu-rays Hundreds out. Of movies. Like Dunkirk is out right now. And if you have it on Blu-ray, if you haven't seen it and you see it on demand, then you can come check us out. We're immortalized on the ethernets. That's right. In the cloud. <laughs> my head's All always right. in the clouds. Thank you guys as always. <laughs> Bye. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of its owners or principals.